Transporting people and cargo across the globe is almost as old as time itself. For any cargo or any shipment you get from some factory in China to the Midwest of the US, there's not just one company involved. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. That like up to maybe sometimes 15, 20 different companies are involved in that entire process. With shipping accounting for 90% of world trade, it was surprising for us to learn how outdated the industry is with regards to technology. They're using quite old technology to do it these days. And because there's so many companies involved, there's a huge network effect. But it also creates a lot of difficulties. The maritime industry is still very manual and highly regulated, making it a Herculean task to even propose bringing about change. To know where a shipment is at any point in time, you need to be tied into systems or to get a price. You need to get the prices from all these 10 different companies together in order to find out from A to B, what is the end-to-end -end cost and what am I going to bill my cost? COVID flipped this entire narrative. The pandemic revealed how fragile the global supply chains of essential items are. This whole COVID crisis, the whole digitization has become much more prominent uh, in this industry. People have had to figure out how to deal with working from home. Shortages in medicines, lumber, to semiconductor chips and even cars highlighted the weaknesses and risks in global trade. Being able to pick up the phone and calling your shipping line to find out where a container is or whatever you or your freight forwarder to find out where that cargo is going to arrive. If they're not in the office, that's going to be a whole lot harder. And so these companies have realized, well, we need to make that data available for our customers so that they can reach us at any, any time of the day, wherever they are, wherever we are. The need for advanced technology to predict and adapt to sharp fluctuations between supply and demand is now all the more essential. They put out a questionnaire to a bunch of companies. 58% of them still didn't have a transport management system or freight management system, which is like the basic software you have to manage moving cargo from A to B. So it's like an accounting system for freight. In today's episode, we revisit our discussion with Martin Weerhagen, founder and CEO of Quick, a digital logistics platform aimed at revolutionizing one of the oldest industries in the world. So I'm from the Rotterdam area in, in Holland. This part of the country and, and the country as a whole is inundated with logistics. I mean, such a big part of our economy revolves around it. Since we recorded this conversation, the THC team was thrilled to hear that Quick's incredible cloud-based shipping platform was acquired by Magaya Corporation, the leading provider of logistics and supply chain automation software. Tune in to hear Martin's incredible vision resilience and drive to digitize the trillion-dollar shipping industry. If you'd known how important the technology economy was 20 years ago, would you have done things differently? The internet, cell phones, the cloud, and data. Things have changed, and we're here to talk about it. Hi, I'm Jed. Hi, I'm Shikhar. Welcome to Things Have Changed, your new economics and technology podcast. Maybe I'll just walk you guys through like a small history lesson. Just reading through all the stuff that made humans this technologically advanced. Trade started way before we were able to do anything else. Exchanging goods between one person and another was how we developed society and we first did it through land then we did it through sea one thing that stood out was trade in itself is is as old as art or language 
there were many like establishments that that really moved the needle. The Romans were the biggest, where they started using the Mediterranean Sea to to start exchanging goods and services. And you have these incredible reports of Roman coins being found in some random place in Asia or in India. And so they built trade routes over sea because it reduced time. It was in many ways cheaper and more secure. And then you move to like the East Indian Company and the Dutch and the British that used shipping as a way of colonization. So I love that whole aspect that today the subject that we're talking about is shipping, which more or less everything that we get has probably been on a container in the sea. That's what trade brings to our lives, where Martin, I think you might have heard this example about a pencil. No one person knows how to make a pencil. <laughs> but you get the wood from someplace, you get the charcoal from someplace, and you manufacture at scale, and you give it out to the consumers wherever they are. Mm-hmm. Right? So understanding how quick is bringing shipping to the 21st century is something that is very interesting. Like when you talk about shipping and freights, you have to go through a lot of customs. You have to go through maritime laws, regulations. And a lot of that is still manual. There are a lot of human elements to that whole transaction from producer to consumer. And digitizing even one section of that, be it with regards to schedules or quotes, offers a huge alpha to the whole supply chain. For any cargo or any shipment you get from some factory in China to you know the Midwest of the US or wherever it may be, right? there's not just one company involved. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. That like up to 10, maybe sometimes 15, 20 different companies are involved in that entire process. But generally, there's one type of company that sort of binds all of these different companies together. And in sort of international logistics, we call it a freight forwarder, mm-hmm. right? If you want something shipped from that factory in China to somewhere in the US, you call up a freight forwarder. You tell them, it's, you know, cargo is here. It's got to go. Uh, it's got to go there. Here are the details. You arrange that stuff. And then he makes sure that, you know, he contacts a trucking company to pick it up. That trucking company brings it to a different warehouse that's owned by somebody else, uh, stuffs it into a container that goes to a terminal that's op- owned by a third party. Then it goes onto a ship, which is another company. And the same thing happens sort of in reverse of destination, right? And and those are the companies that quickly focus on because they're mm-hmm. like the spider in the web of the international supply chain. They've got their, I don't want to say tentacles because it sounds kind of negative, <laughs> <laughs> But they're they're connecting all these different pieces and different companies, and and it, and in a very real sense, they're I wouldn't say working archaic, but they're using quite old technology to do it these days. Mm-hmm. And because there's so many companies involved, there's a huge network effect of on, you know from one side, and from the other side, it also creates a lot of difficulties because if you think about it from a systems perspective, yeah. you're now just to get you know. To know where a shipment is at any point in time, you need to be tied into systems used by 10 different companies, right? Or to get a price, you need to get the prices from all these 10 different companies together in order to find out from A to B, right? What is the end-to-end, as we call it? Uh, the, the end-to-end cost and what am I going to bill my customer? Mm-hmm. Um, so the way I rolled into this was uh, I uh, did import operations here in Rotterdam for uh, one of these companies. Uh, did that for about two years after studying at uh, Shipping and Transport College. And uh, then within that company, sort of moved into a process in IT 
uh, kind of position. And from that, just you know, kept on going in, in, in these things. And I'd, I'd say over the past 10 years, when I was from the point that I started getting involved in that stuff, the digitization of this industry is really accelerated to a large extent. Um, and at some point I felt like, okay, it's great to do this for one company, right? But A, it's a corporation. <laughs> and, you know, there's certain inertia that comes with, with, with working within a corporation. And, and you know, um, it doesn't go as, goes as fast as, as some people like in order to bring change. And, and B, uh, we're still, you know, struggling to bring all these different pieces together. So I was like, well, if I run a separate company or I start a separate company, it's got to be much more... Uh, or it's going to be much easier to do this sort of neutral and then yeah. get these different companies to connect and, and, and work together. So that in, well, I would say a nutshell, but it really isn't uh, sort of the background. <laughs> yeah, I can bet. So you've had this extensive experience and knowledge within the space. After creating that entity, how did you like break through? Because these are all the old um, regulated companies. So how do you establish yourself you know it's like the chicken and egg to get more customers you need to be big enough or scale and yeah uh, i had the luck of having already quite a significant network within the industry when i started quick and uh, the customers that i was over the companies that i was focusing on had before then been my been customers and people that i've been contacting through my previous job because the last job i had at that company was what we called a customer digital advancement. And so I was within that company, amongst other things, responsible for making sure that we could deliver technology that our customers needed. Mm-hmm. And so going from that within that corporation to your own company is really not that big of a step. Like okay. the harder thing was developing the product. Uh, <laughs> but then, you know, once I was ready, uh, I had already, you know, two or three companies lined up. They were like, okay, we, you know, we'd really like to use this product and, and we think it can be a benefit to us. And then after that, I mean, the logistics, you know, it's trillion dollar industry. 90% is, as we talked about earlier of, of global cargo still moves by sea, but it's also a very small industry in a, in a, in a very real way. And so a lot of people know each other. Fragmented. Yeah, there's enough. a lot of different yeah. companies, but once you get to a certain you know level within those companies of people you're talking with, everybody knows each other. And and I have that with current customers, where like you know somebody leaves at a company, and and you know three months later they pop up at a different company we're talking to to get business with to do business with, and that's happened now over the past what three years, like multiple times. Like the anecdote there is that I was like in the Midwest of the US, and I was talking to a company. I was like, okay, there's a potential customer, so I want a sales call, if you will. And I mentioned the company I'd worked for before, which is, was an Antwerp, a Belgian-based company, although with a global footprint. And they were like, oh, yeah, we know the guy that founded that company. And I, I personally never met him. I, would, <laughs> I came there way after him. But this were some guys in Kansas City, Missouri, like that, oh. that, that known the founder of the company I'd worked for in Belgium. <laughs> so, you know, it is, a, it is a very small industry indeed. The, the picture that is literally coming in my head is everyone knows everyone. So everyone has everyone else's business card. Someone asks you, hey, how do I ship this? I, I know, know a guy. guy. Yeah. Do yeah. <laughs> Just take out a card and give it to him. Well, that's how the industry, that's what the industry is based on. Because if you're, you know, you're in the US, you want to ship something to China. You got to know somebody in China because, you know, you don't know the best trucking company there. Uh, or, or who can do, you know, customs clearance or contact a customer. It's a massive network. While we're on the topic of the network effect and the relationships that you have to build and maintain with this business, uh, can you walk us through why you chose to develop a platform that keeps the 
the business's uh, brand and their website. And you guys are more of a backend platform for these uh, logistical and forwarders. Uh, was it was that a strategic choice? I've got like a multifaceted answer to that. One there is that there have been companies that have sort of tried the marketplace approach in this industry so far and have been successful to various extent. But the companies I'm dealing with, um, some of those have been around for over 100 years. And their customers have known them for a very long time. They uh, like doing business with them. And, and I think a brand strongly creates that sort of stickiness and, and, and trust. And and a lot of people still feel that this is a, a, a people's industry. And like I mentioned, it's very relationship-driven also in terms of sales. So we want to keep for our customers that brand intact because A, their customers expect it. But also because we don't really take an active part in the actual moving of the cargo. We're just facilitating the technology in the back end. And that maybe differentiates us from the marketplace I was talking about earlier. But these because these are guys that they'll use somebody in the background, but they still want to have like a part in the actual movement of the of the of the cargo, which we don't. I believe there's I won't I wouldn't say too many, but there's already enough companies that can actually move cargo. And 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 we just want to help them do it better and more efficiently and more digitized and give them better access to their customers and their customers better access to them. Rather than, you know, sort of carving out a window for ourselves where we're gonna add on another layer of cost. And I guess I'm curious as to how big the technology debt is here. Like that gap that you're solving in between companies not having infrastructure at all mm-hmm. uh, to go into a digitized environment. How big is that gap that you're trying? Like I've heard of stories where people are exchanging notes on pieces of paper to get certain logistical things done still. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's still happening today. Yeah. You know, so how big is that? Like when you go into a, a business or a business segment and you go like, all right, we're going to digitize you. How scared are their chief technology officers if they even exist? You know what I mean? To to, to take this uh, this venture with you. You know, there is a big gap there, but it's also very diverse. There's companies that have been using systems and technology for years, and are that are much more forward. But but very interestingly, I saw a post on Twitter yesterday from somebody uh, that does like marketing in the space and looks at logistics technology and that kind of stuff. They put out a questionnaire to a bunch of companies. 58% of them still didn't have a transport management system or a freight management system, which is like the basic software you have to manage moving cargo from A to B. So it's like an accounting system for freight, right? Um, 50 something percent said they still didn't do it. And I was like, okay, well, you know, if you will it hard enough, Excel is a freight management system too, right? (laughs) And, And, you know, it's a lot cheaper than some of these other systems. You know, 90% of the financial industry still runs on Excel, right? Yep. There, there's definitely a gap there because if, if then, you know, you're trying to do things like digitization, it becomes very difficult. Although we build our platform in such a way that it can do those basic functions of a freight management system, right? Mm-hmm. So people can come in and actually do the stuff that they would normally do in their backend. We prefer to integrate with what they already have just so they don't have to do double work. But if somehow they can't or they don't have anything, they can still use our software to do those basic operations to keep in touch with their customers. So we try and make the transition as smooth as possible. But a lot of that depends on, okay, how well can you integrate with their existing platforms, with their existing software? And that's, you know, as you say, where uh, CIOs and CTOs get nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Because they want to know you do it right. Because, you know, put one thing in the wrong field and all of a sudden everything collapses and cargo that's supposed to end up in China ends up in South Africa or something, you know. (laughs) That's the thing. If you mess up your job, it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, the cargo ended up in South Africa. Like... 
Yeah. <laughs> How do you even begin to, you know, and then they're relying on these manual processes to do these massive orders. Like, yeah, that's it seems to me like it would be an easy sell for you. It is to a certain extent, but also not to another. I mean, everything has a cost. And what you need to re- realize as well is that it's not a high margin business, right? They're mm-hmm. not making a lot on every container that, that is being shipped across the world, depending on sort of what kind of niche they're in and, and, and those kinds of things, right? And how much value they're actually adding. Um, because that's a huge part of it as well. In some transactions, the value proposition is different than others. And so they're adding mm. value in a different way. You know, if we do ask a price for booking, that immediately comes into their margin. Uh, but at the same time, we feel it's more effective than asking a flat sales fee, as a lot of other companies do, because mm. a it, they can immediately project it onto the cost of sale. Right, so it's very clear to them that okay, they've paid ten bucks or whatever our price is uh, for this transaction to us, and that's immediately cost rather than you know five k over over an entire month for something random. Uh, and B is very low risk. If they don't get a transaction, then they don't pay us, right? And so that's kind of the way we're trying to hack that low margin problem. So the entire product is software. Right, you don't provide any hardware that you put onto the the ships onto the. Okay, so that that means everybody that's involved um, in collecting the data, because I imagine this is a very data heavy business, mm-hmm. um, is on an app that just confirms. Okay, it's it's reached uh, this part of the shipment. It's reached like th- there's there has to be like multiple levels of collaboration from find because if you're managing the entire shipping process like that's complex yeah so how do you get how do you get all those pieces together i think there's very little companies that in practice have managed on a global scale to put all those pieces uh-huh. together because you know uh-huh. you can be integrated with the guy in china with the guy in la that handles your container yeah. and then you know exactly where they are but now you're moving something into kenya right where the realities yeah. of technology are entirely different or in nigeria or you know zimbabwe mm-hmm. uh and and and, uh, and it works differently there the basis for the companies that we work with is their fleet management system. That's where all the records are kept, uh, where they start the transaction, they do the quotes, they make the booking, they create a bill of lading, um, and 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 that's supposed to connect with everything else. And then we, mm-hmm. we sit sort of on top of that software, right? And we then provide the interface between that software and their customer. And, and then there's various other pieces that we now try to pull in and sort of bring together that they may not already have in their freight management system. Because those systems, you know, they're, they're fairly complete and they do what they do. Uh, but generally there's, you know, there's tons of bells and whistles, but usually not the bells and whistles that everybody wants because there is a lot of difference in, these, in, the, in the supply chains. But, you know, we're, we're trying to bring those sort of different systems together. So one thing we do, for example, uh, that's maybe you know, not, not very tactile, but people can sort of envision, uh, we connect to vessel positioning data. And people will, you know, you, you, I'm sure you know about like Flight Radar 24 and apps like that, where yeah, you can track yeah. a flight yeah. to, like as it moves through the air and you can even use AR to point your phone at, at, a, at an airplane you see, right? And it tells you what flight it is. Same thing exists for uh, ships. You can get the data and find out where a vessel is at a point in time and then display that to a customer. Mm-hmm. We, we use that, that sort of stuff quite extensively. When I was reading about the data collection that, transport companies need and use i was reading somewhere that they aren't always accurate with their transit times or their schedules (laughs) to be competitive or to make themselves look better than they actually are to shareholders who knows what the reasons are i'm sure there's a multitude of reasons how do you verify these important data inputs um, and get around these 
inaccuracies that these companies are using to appear more efficient or faster and competitive. But in the end, it makes it just way more way more of a puzzle to have to deal with than uh, really streamlining the whole process. Yeah, I'm I'm always quite uh, hesitant to either say or accept that uh, that they're doing that on purpose. Um, mm. <laughs> a lot of this data entry, you need to imagine, is still manual. So you've got people, you know, punching it into a system, and those people make errors. Uh, and sure, those those errors mm-hmm. happen. And sure, there will be companies that 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 purposely sort of manipulate the data to look better, or that are very optimistic. Let's put it that way, right? Mm-hmm. In how long it takes to get from A to B, but they'll be found out pretty quick <laughs> in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because if you're managing a supply chain, uh, you need to have that cargo at destination at day X, and not the X minus one or the X plus one. Both are bad. Right, so the next time you know that these guys uh, haven't delivered, and if they do it three times in a row, you know, okay, this is not an exception. But uh, we we also employ uh, the data that I was just talking about, the the vessel positioning, to be able to find out, hey, uh, sort of historically, which of those providers uh, actually perform on time in terms of what they what they report are their transit times or the times that they take, and then what are some of the causes of those or potential cause of those delays. You know, is it very seasonal? So we track, is, does it happen like a lot of in January, for example, that they're late? Or does it happen a lot over the summer or stuff like that? Uh, using that vessel positioning data, you can tell, hey, the vessel departed that port and now it's arrived in the, in, in, in the destination port. So we know exactly how long it took vis-a-vis their schedule. And you're benchmarking that across multiple vendors to make sure, I guess, to get an accurate average of what it takes. Like if they say, hey, China to... LA is taking a day, you can actually go and say, what is the exact time across the industry? And if it's like three days, you can call them out or, yeah. you know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. On, on Ocean, when, you know, we look at sort of days maximum, nobody looks at hours uh, because, you know, it takes 28 days to get from China to Europe or something. It's not as granular as with an airline, right? Where you, where their performance is measured by minutes, basically. Uh, but, but in Ocean, you know, people care about a day. Uh, they definitely do. Uh, but, but generally, not about two hours. It being two hours later or something, it's immaterial. Uh, but yeah, we, we do track that for some customers and, 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 and we measure that. At the end of the day, you're also talking about a schedule. And so yeah. there's, and there's ways that that schedule can get disrupted. Because one thing to keep in mind is that it's not like a flight. That ship doesn't go just from Rotterdam to New York, for example. It goes from Rotterdam to Hamburg in Germany, then uh, maybe to uh, to Southampton in the UK, then to uh, Lavre in France, and then it goes across the Atlantic, maybe ends up in New York, and then goes down, uh, da- down the East Coast to a couple of ports, and then goes back. And sometimes those sort of orders get switched out. So it's later at one port, but earlier at the other. And, and, and so wow. the, the comparison to like a flight schedule breaks down a little bit in that sense. One of your biggest products is called the, the Quick Portals, right? Mm-hmm. So you're automating the quoting process. You're getting, you're developing these relationships and getting people on board all the time with like um, with their deals to go from point X to point Y. How do you gain you people to be part of the the network? Very established names, you know. How do you get them to sign up for Quick? Um, well, I mean, some just end up on our website and ask for a demo or a trial. Right. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, because uh, especially, you know, the last couple of months with this whole COVID crisis, 
the mm-hmm. the whole digitization has become much more uh, sort of prominent uh, in this industry. People, you know, pe- people have had to figure out how to deal with working from home, which mm-hmm. uh, if you're used to being able to pick up the phone and calling your shipping line to find out where a container is or what have you, or your freight forwarder to find out where that cargo is going to arrive, if they're not in the office, that's going to be a whole lot harder. Um, and so these companies have realized, well, we need to make that data available for our customers so that they can reach us at any any time of the day, wherever they are, wherever we are, right? Uh, so people have more sort of started looking after this. Uh, beyond that, I mean, it's relationships. You get introductions to, to people that are looking for this or one company says, hey, you know, my friend over there is interested in, in this stuff as well. We have quite a few partners that we work with. So we don't, we, we, we build technology, but there's so many facets of this. We, for example, don't do anything about the maintaining of quotes or the maintaining of rates. We work with a, with a company called SimpliShip, who, yeah. who from time to time brings in leads. We work with a, another company for integrations, with another one, you know, to, to do this or that. And, and sometimes even your customers refer you. And then beyond that, you know, it's just going out and, and looking for, for businesses. And there's literally thousands of freight forwarders in the world. So I don't have, you know, have high hopes that we'll ever be able to reach them all. But we can certainly reach a, a significant yeah. portion. So Martin, can you just delineate that whole process of what you provide, what your um, collaboration with Simply Ship provides? Yeah. So the thing our product does, it's one, the end customer, the shipper, can go online to the portal of one of our customers and find out what price they're going to pay to move cargo from A to B. That's one part. Then okay. they can find out that that's the quoting. Uh, then the second part is they can find out when they can ship cargo b- between points A and B, which is our sailing schedules, which has been our core product sort of from day one. And then after that, they can place a booking with, with our customer and actually say, hey, now go ahead and move this cargo. And then one step further is they can actually keep up to date on the movement of that cargo. So where it is, whether it's already been received or whether it's been delivered or if it's on the ship and, and that kind of stuff. And then lastly, they can do a reporting. Uh, which means you know they can get an overview of their historical transactions and and sort of their spend and that kind of stuff. Hmm. The schedules piece of that we entirely built and maintain ourselves because that very very much is our core product. For quotes, we work with a company called Simply Ship because they already had built that infrastructure. They've got a marketplace where they serve twenty thousand uh, cargo owners, primarily in the U.S., and connect them to freight forwarders so they can sort of in a Expedia kind of way, f- find the best price for more moving cargo from A to B. Right. And, and in that, they, they've already built a bunch of integrations and, and a ways of managing those rates. Because rates also in this industry are very complex. Um, you don't just pay one charge to move stuff from A to B. There's usually you know a list of charges that you got to pay and a bunch of surcharges and, and stuff that are dependent on other things. And, and don't get me started mm. on that. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, the... The, once that booking happens that I mentioned, you know, the customers can book. Uh, that needs to go into the customer's ERP or their, their freight management system. We work again with another company that has already built integrations to like 17 different systems, different systems out there to make sure that it ends up in the right system. So I've been more describing our product as a platform where we mm. take all of these different pieces and sort of bring them together in one place that our customers can then have and operate as a website or as an application for their customers then to do anything that they want to do, you know, in, in order to, transact, to, to transact business online. I'm trying to think of the Uber app, which now gives me cars, which gives me trains, 
which gives me, um, which connects me between, uh, I guess, the drivers who will pick me up and drop me off mm-hmm. and also give me uh, the price. Sends you a bill and takes care of your payments and that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, and also the back end of that. Okay, so you're creating that for the shipping industry. Yeah, in a, in a way, I think the model for Uber is a little bit different because they sit on top of all these business owners, the drivers, right? They're the mm. actual business that you're dealing with and Uber sits on top of that. Whereas we provide a platform to one company to actually do do that stuff for themselves and not necessarily connect uh, 15 different companies in one place because that would be more of a marketplace approach, right? Where customers can go in and they can compare prices and, and find the best one. Um, I, I, you know, I'm always quite hesitant about drawing parallels with like an Uber or something like that. Yeah. Because it doesn't, it doesn't translate very well. Um, Got it. But think like we're operating the website of American Airlines or Delta. That sort of translates a lot better uh, because you go on there, you find out what the price is. Then you find out when you can fly from A to B, right? You get a schedule and then you make a booking mm-hmm. and then you can do your online check-in and all that good stuff. And so a lot of these transactions are sort of mirrored in the freight industry. They're just not about people, but about stuff. Congratulations on the, the the deal, by the way, with DB. That was huge. That was yeah, uh, and and we've got a couple of others in the pipeline that are that are really excited. So I think this week, this last week, we announced uh, a deal with a freight forwarder network, which has I think over five hundred different companies in Asia attached to it. Um, this is the AI LA. Yeah, the AI, uh, AI Logistics Alliance, okay. ILA. Uh, Isla. Call them I would have never guessed that was it's Isla. <laughs> I was going with Ayla, but that's that's good. Yeah, these, these I, acronyms, like you were saying, are endless. <laughs> I, I know, right? They, they they don't stop. So so that's really cool, and and you know we hope to benefit these companies significantly because the Asian market obviously is the in terms of logistics is absolutely massive. You know, not just what goes out of Asia to Europe or the US or South America, or, but yeah. even within Asia, so much stuff moves. You know, it's mind boggling how big of an opportunity exists in the, in those markets. And then I wouldn't say they're underserved, but they, they could be served much more in terms of technology. Run us through that process, Martin. I guess how you got them onboarded and were you like absolutely nervous during that whole? Because I mean, you're talking about one of the biggest logistical alliances. Yeah, we got into contact with them through Corey, who's the CEO from Simply Ship, a company I mentioned earlier. Uh, and then we'd been yeah. speaking to those guys in the past already. These networks you need to mention, you need to mention, they're usually independent organizations of a lot of these different companies. Uh, different freight companies in different places that sort of get together in, in this group or club in order to make use of each other's network. The thing we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. like how it's difficult to know somebody at the destination of the cargo, that's mm-hmm. what these networks are for, the different independent companies that come and work together. Um, and these companies are constantly looking for technology that they can offer their mem- members because it makes the entire group stronger if they can transact more fe- effectively internally as well as towards their customers because they tend to be on all kinds of different software or not, no software at all. And so that's a big benefit. If I was nervous, I mean, no, not really. <laughs> Privately, yes. But uh, you, you just want to get the deal done and you want to get you want to get the customer to take full benefit of the product, uh, obviously. And in that sense, there's a bit of ner- uh, nervousness. But not in a very, you know, I'm having a panic attack on Friday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for depending on which customer, right? But you, you can have some customers who are still exchanging in paper and you come in and you're like, yeah, I can provide you value. You don't even know what, it, what right. it's going to do for you. So I, I'd imagine like that's what I was saying earlier. It could be a really easy sell depending on where, where they are on their technology stack, right? So Yeah, and I, I tend to be able to 
to relate pretty well because I came into this industry where uh, in order to find out how we could best ship or to find out where the cargo was, you got to pick up the phone, you know, be on hold for, for 10 minutes and then speak to somebody who's got to look it up for another 15 uh, and then go to 15 different websites in order to find find one piece of information. I could have very much used the systems that we built myself at various points of my career. And so I tend to be very excited about them because I can tell, okay, you know, your, your people in operations who, who are doing the day-to-day business, they're going to love this stuff. It's going to improve their quality of life and, and the way that they're doing business. Nobody hey. likes the repetitive stuff of their work. They want to do, you know, handle exceptions yeah. and that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's much more interesting. But is there like a statistic that you sell to them when, or, a, or a metric that you sell to them with a product when you come in? Um, yeah, there's we'll save some, you five million hours. No, not in terms of hours. Like a lot of things we do are around cost of sale and and cost of transaction. And so we calculate, for example, it costs like thirty bucks to do a regular quote to a customer, and you got to do ten to actually end up getting a booking from somebody. Um, mm-hmm. So for every booking, you know, you've already spent between hundred and fifty and three hundred dollars just getting the cargo in the first place. Uh, and then, you know, you got to go through this whole manual process of actually m- handling and maintaining it. And if your margin is not, you know, huge, then getting that down to a couple of cents or or maybe a buck or five bucks that you pay me, that's already a lot more efficient. It's crazy. Um, that's all on scale. So just yeah. economies of scale throughout. Yeah, it's extremely exciting and, and things keep changing quite rapidly. At the same time, it can be daunting because you're in a... One problem I sometimes run into is that people try to apply a B2C sort of mentality to an industry that's like 100% B2B, right? You're still dealing with companies. And so they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to develop an app for, for, for this or that. Okay, but you're dealing with people who sit behind a desk, mm-hmm. have a computer in front of them. What are they going to do with your app? <laughs> right they work nine yeah, to five they yeah. do they do administrative tasks you're gonna put it in an app that's great but you know they're sitting by the computer anyway why would they pick up their phone through <laughs> exactly uh martin i wanted to take a little step back and learn how did you even begin to uh work in the logistical business like what was the motivation did you have family in it did you what what piqued your interest <laughs> uh, about it so i'm from the rotterdam area in, in Holland and and so this you know this part of the country and, and the country as a whole is inundated with, with logistics I mean it's such a big part of our economy revolves around it uh, cargo that moves from from you know comes into Europe from Rotterdam moves into the, the hinterland into Germany or in Belgium and it's all passed by where it used to live so that sort of always resonated I live by a river where anything that moves by ship uh, to Germany or whatever comes by and then uh, yeah. just real practically is that I like a I don't know, a physics class in high school and it mentioned something about the physics of, you know, loading containers on a ship or something. And I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do after high school. So I was like, okay, let's go check that out. So, you know, th- that's sort of how I started there. And I went to what's called the Shipping and Transport College in Rotterdam, which is, you know, entirely focused on this, on this industry and on this business. So after that, there wasn't really any way out. <laughs> <laughs> Blink twice if you want to get out. Uh, no, I, I love it. It's an industry that's constantly changing, but also if you think about it, there's so much more change it can undergo in various different ways. Nobody knows what what it's going to look like in 10, 15 years, and for one, quite excited to, excited to find out. And on that, like with with the situation that we're all in right now, has that pushed it pushed it significantly? to the um, future that you envision? I think it will. You know, it's not an industry that sort of transitions or changes really fast. You know, if you're, if, if you're dealing with cargo that takes okay. 28 days to go from 
origin to destination, then you're not in an industry that's like high pace. Uh, <laughs> you do things at scale, you don't do them fast, but it's definitely pushed it forward. One out of need and, and another because now people, you know, it became known to them that there was other ways of doing things. And, and all of a sudden, all your staff are at home and nobody has a phone or, or a fax machine by by all means that they, they can access. Everything needs to happen digitally now. And a lot of companies weren't prepared, right? They had their network set up that didn't allow video conferencing uh, or, or their servers that didn't allow a remote connection or that kind of stuff. And they all of a sudden had to do that. So what we saw and after... So things here in Europe and, and I think across the world went into lockdown was that first sort of interest in digitization evaporated because people had other things on their mind, sort of the immediate stuff. And after that, they were like, okay, we got to be prepared for this. If it, a, it goes on very long. Do you have any uh, aspirations of what the industry might look like 10 years from now? You've seen the manual process and now you're seeing the acceptance that digital might be helping uh, the whole process. I think what will be focused on is carbon emissions for one, because it's just okay. it's come to a point where I think a lot of people or most people realize that it's really necessary that everybody starts thinking about this stuff. And I think logistics has already made some progress in that respect. Um, there's there's now zones across the planet where you can't use certain kinds of fuels. You need to use low sulfur fuels, right? Um, because they're heavy, heavy pollutants. Um, so I hope that that kind of improves and beyond that, you know, incre- incremental improvements towards more efficient efficiencies, because at the end of the day, you know, if 90% of the stuff you see around you was at some point in a shipping container. That's like a number I like to quote, and it's not 100% correct, but it's close. So it affects everybody, yeah. right? So what international jurisdiction does. And if, if waste occurs in that system, economic waste, then that yeah. means that goods for everybody are slightly more expensive. Like global scale, it definitely mm-hmm. does matter. And the increased competition just adds to it. More competition tends to be tends to be good uh, for 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 the end consumer, right? You know, we're definitely going to see companies that are going to come out on top of this in terms of the digitization space. I think that means that if there are companies that are staying away from it entirely and don't want to digitize, that there's no place for them in the world because there's a lot of companies in this space that operate in very particular niches and are really good at that, doing that one thing, moving lumber from Maine to Europe or something like that. Right? It's very, you know, it seems trivial, but it's a it's a big business and, and companies focus on that kind of stuff, and so they're still able to add value in that. Space. If there is a disruption in the schedule mm-hmm. supply chain, how how soon does your platform pick up the delays, the, the delay um, in the schedule? Where does that info get fed into your portal? Does your coding process self-adjust for to accommodate the delay? or? So the, first of all, there's no dynamic pricing in international logistics or in ocean logistics okay. that I'm aware of anywhere. Prices are generally set on a regular basis, and and they're usually dependent on things like the the price of oil. Uh, but even then, you know, they don't fluctuate as the okay. price of oil does. Uh, some companies have like long term contracts that really want to fix price for six months, and other for others, the price changes on a weekly basis. In terms of our schedules, we get it real time from from the carriers, right? So uh, whenever it's it's updated by that carrier who mm-hmm. operates the ship, uh, then then it reflects in our systems as well. But in terms of quoting and pricing. No, it, um, the pricing is still manual. Right? It's not automated at all. It's not like an airline um, or or like a, a hotel that that can balance its supply and demand. Um, there, there's massive opportunities there, I believe, but but also massive challenges. You're dealing with an industry which is a B two B industry, 
And I think like dynamic pricing and that kind of stuff is, is, is great and it can be very helpful. Um, but there are more sort of things that I think about when you're talking about consumer-based products. Because if somebody goes to from company A to B, you know, that, that two cents in that price is probably not going to make the difference, that it's going to wiggle up and down every minute. <laughs> so, uh, Martin, just wanted to dive into your Techstars uh, experience and your time in Kansas City. Techstars is a huge accelerator. You know, launched so many big companies. So how was that experience? A really cool and, you know, for, for a, a lot of different reasons. But for me, so I started this company by myself. Mm-hmm. I'm a sole founder, right? So, and I didn't have a team for the longest time up and until and even after I started Techstars. And so for me, it was great to get together with like people from nine or 10 other different companies that were sort of in the same situation, trying to do the same thing, different products and different industries, obviously. Uh, but but trying to build you know their their own companies and, and being sort of at the same stage as as uh, I was with Quick at the time, and being able to work with them and interface with them and, and sort of learn from each other that was really cool. And you know, TechStars is great. They provide a massive network of that you can t- tap into. I still weekly catch up with the managing director of the program after well almost two years after the program ended. Uh, so yeah, and and that's that's been a massive support and it's been very helpful and. They provided a wealth of introductions and connections and, and, and people to talk to and, and learn from and talk with. Um, you know, I was at some point connected to Scott Case, who was one of the earlier guys at, at Expedia, right, uh, to, to talk about sort of, and, and they looked at logistics uh, and sort of applying what they did in a travel there. Um, that kind of experience, you, you can't beat that. Uh, and, and I couldn't sort of have realized it by myself. Because I'm a little bit secluded, an introvert and a, and a you know software developer, so I, d- I don't get out much otherwise and talk to people. So that, that was great. Nice. And um, what do you? So did they also provide with uh, the financial backing, or was it just you building out a platform with your own uh, capital and then getting people on? No. So I. Uh, I had an angel investor that backed me when I started okay. Quick, which is also how I got connected to Techstars. So he was one of the mentors for the program that I got into it in Kansas City. And then they do an investment as well uh, out of the accelerator, same as, you know, like Combinator yeah. and everybody does. I, I run a lean machine and I don't have a lot of expenses and I try to, to invest, but not spend on stuff I don't need to spend on. I was profitable fairly quick also with wow. this company at some That's point huge. and then went back and and, and sort of invested more money. And so it's gone up and down. I'm not saying we're, we're turning huge profits, not at all. But, you know, you hire somebody and, and you hope that that sort of returns over over a course of time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's constantly balancing that. You know, the, one, one of the things with sort of logistics is, is we tend to have quite a long sales cycle uh, selling into these companies because, again, they're huge corporations. And you mentioned before numbers like multiple billions, right? If you're talking with these businesses, they don't make yeah. the decision overnight to go ahead with a digital platform. Um, got to be approved and there's got to be 10 people to look at it you know one from business one from it uh, and uh, 15 other ones um which you know that's just the way it is and you got to deal with it but so right was kansas city because of the angel investor and the connection to tech stars or was kansas city i'm just curious here maybe i missed that yeah so he was uh or he is from from kansas city and so he was uh, known in the program the kansas city city program over there the Texas has uh, that I think they're starting again next week, or yeah, they're starting again next week uh, this year. So uh, yeah, no, that's how I ended up there. But I liked it. I mean, uh, 
I, I like the U.S. overall. I much prefer it over Europe. Really? Yeah, yeah. Grew up here in Holland. I spent five years living in Belgium. In between, I spent quite a lot of time in India. Benefit of working in international logistics is it brings a lot of travel with it. I can't wait for the after conversation as well, yeah. where we go in deep dive into the industry and we have a bunch more questions. But yeah. I really, I really do appreciate it. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Thank, thank you guys for having me.